1: What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 16 of the podcast to be named later. As you've probably guessed by now, this is not the normal host, Chris Wallace, our fearless leader. My name is Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on BatteryPower.com. Uh, I am filling in for a Chris Wallace who is not feeling particularly well this evening. If you want to follow me over on Twitter, you can follow me over at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, you'll get a lot more minor league notes as well as me kind of complaining about games as they're happening. But to kind of help me get acclimated to this show, which I have not been on in any capacity yet, uh, is uh, the usual co-host for Chris. Uh, you can follow him over on Twitter at b underscore outliers. One Stephen Tolbert. Stephen, what's going on, man?
2: What's up, Eric? We appreciate you stepping in tonight, man. Yeah, we had a uh, you know we had a man down. We had to. You know, just like Austin Riley and, and Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, they need rest before the playoffs. Our our fearless leader, Chris Willis, needed some rest before the playoffs starts. So we appreciate you stepping in.
1: So between the two of us, which I mean, I guess am I here Adrianza or am I Guillermo Heredia? I mean, kinda of where are we at in terms of like the I mean I guess I guess I guess I'd have to be one of those two guys, right? So like who, you know,
2: well, I guess at the do you like swords? Cuz you, I mean, you could be Heredia. You could be Heredia if you wanted to. That's fine. I don't I don't yeah, have I, any problem. I feel
1: like I I feel like I could pull Heredia off. I don't know if I could do it at the energy level that he had today, uh especially uh, for given the events of last night. And we guess we should start there, Stephen. Uh the regular season has come to an end. Uh the Braves did lose today 12-9 to, to the Marlins in what was a I guess you would call it an entertaining game. Uh, certainly a lot of bad baseball was being be playing, particularly on the pitching side for both sides. Um, we did see some really good games from guys like Guillermo Heredia. Uh, for those who maybe aren't fully understanding what happened, uh, the Braves did clinch the National League East yesterday. And as a result, there was no real point to kind of – Playing any of the or many of the starters today. Dansby Swanson had one at bat. Uh, Matt Olson had a good day today, and he played the entire game. Uh, saw a couple other guys. Wayne Contreras was in there as well. But a lot we saw a lot of bench guys seeing action today as they get a lot of these everyday guys some rest uh, same goes with the pitching side it, you know again, Jackson Stevens got the start uh he certainly looked like he had been uh celebrating quite a bit the night before once he started pitching it was uh it was pretty rough going on in terms of the pitching side but uh what'd you kind of make of it it was kind of a wild game just to kind of keep up with it. Yeah, Braves almost came back and won it yeah that was
2: your that was your classic game 162 when everything got decided in game 161 that was I mean it wasn't spring training baseball because everybody was at least on a major league team, obviously, but it was pretty close. You know, I, if I'm honest, I didn't watch a ton of it. I, I, I had it on and I had it on mute, and I was kind of just watching for some specific moments I wanted to see. Um, I wanted to see the Matt Olson at bats just to see how he looks. Uh, he looked great. He had a bunch of rockets today. He had a homer and a double and another homer that was that was taken away. So he looked good. Um, I wanted to see which guys got used out of the pen because you can, can kind of do some, you know, reverse engineering there and, and figure out, you know, the hierarchy of the bullpen, or at least as they see it. And, you know, if you pitched today or if you pitched a lot today, then it probably means you're you're one of the more low leverage guys. And I think that probably played out. Um, I'm not going to put too much in the results. You know, Jesse Chavez didn't have a great day, but I mean, these guys were probably, I don't even know what, so they, they probably went to bed at like, five, six in the morning, um, if they went to bed it, at all.
1: So yeah, I was about to say if they went to bed at all, uh, yeah. and, we, and we certainly saw a lot of these guys parting pretty ho- hard last night. So again, yeah, this is not a game that anyone should put any stock in, uh, other than the fact that, uh, if all results hold up. And as far as I'm aware, I haven't taken a look at the bet score yet. They were healthily ahead of a nationals team that has basically given up. Uh, they gave up some time ago. And, uh, so it makes what happened this past weekend, Stephen, very, very relevant because that means in the standings it will show that the Braves and Mets were tied at 101 wins, and that means that instead of having to go to a hundred game 163 one game tie, tiebreaker winner takes all for the division because of the new tiebreaker rules, the Braves are going to win the division. That's why again the the way things went down in that that series with the Mets and sweeping them that's what had to happen for the Braves to put themselves in this position. If they don't sweep that series, it is astronomically harder for them to win the division. And I've had plenty of chances to talk about that Mets series. I was on the show with Brad on Sunday. And then obviously I was, you know, for the division clinching episode with Sean on the hammer. I was also on that podcast. People are probably gonna be sick of me on the podcast feed this week. My apologies for that. But uh, you haven't had a chance to kind of talk about the, the kind of the, the fallout and what was kind of remarkable about that series. Cause there's a lot to take in from that series. There were small, there were like, like little micro moments that mattered a whole lot. And there was just kind of general trends throughout that whole series that were like, really interesting. So I'm just going kind to of go first, before we kind of get into kind of like a, a little bit of a mini season recap and talking a bit about the playoffs coming forward, I want you to have a chance to kind of share your thoughts on that Mets series and kind of just how wild it was.
2: Yeah, we um, obviously Chris and I recorded our last episode right before the series we kind of did a preview series of of what was to come and in that episode I talked about what I thought was going to be the most important aspect of the the series and that was can the Braves when they get a mistake can the Braves turn it into immediate runs and you know when we watched that three game series there was a couple of things that stood out the the first thing is every time the Braves got a mistake it seemed like they turned it into a run uh, almost instantly, either with a solo homer or a double that eventually led to a run. Um, And every time the Mets got a mistake, they turned it into a single. And, you know, obviously when you turn it into a single, then you need another mistake and another mistake and another mistake. And it's a much more difficult way of scoring runs. And, you know, I really thought the Braves had to, anytime DeGrom left a slider up like he did to Riley in that first game, you know the Braves had to aim for the seats. Basically, they had to they had to try to use their power um, as an advantage, and I I really think that's that was the difference in the series, at least offensively. You know the Mets out hit the Braves 27-24 in that series. They had more hits, but 23 of the Mets 27 hits were singles, and you know it's just tough. It's really tough to stack three, four, five singles in an inning, and and even if you do that, you know you're still talking about one. Or, you know maybe two runs and you know the Braves could basically just take one swing and, and equal that total and I really thought all series long you know Matt Olson got a couple of hanging curveballs he got a couple of hanging changeups Dansby got a couple of hanging changeups and it seemed like every time the Braves got one of those they turned it into a run and you know that combined with how ridiculous the Braves bullpen was that was kind of the other big takeaway for me is the Braves bullpen was just nails. It really was. And, you know, they pitched like, they ended up pitching like 12 plus innings. They, they had to go at least four innings in every game. Um, and I think they only gave up one earned run. I think Minter gave up a home run in like game one, or I think it was, that would have been game one. Yeah. And, um and that was it. That's all they gave up. They were, they were just unbelievable. And, you know, I, I wrote the recap after the, the Scherzer game and I, I put as my headline in that recap that the Braves essentially used the exact same formula that they used last year in the postseason. And that's what they did. They they rode uh, a really strong bullpen and they hit homers. And that's exactly how they won a World Series last year. So it was good to see. Um, and obviously it, it changed the nature of the, the race. The Braves only needed one game this, uh, this week against Miami and they were able to get it done.
1: Yeah, I, I, and just to kind of like Piggyback on that a bit. I think that people don't – I mean they. I think they do now because of just how things have played out, but the, winning that game on Sunday and the position the Braves have put themselves in, I, there are a very short list of starting pitchers that I hold in higher regard just generally speaking than Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom. Uh, I have kind of issues with how the, the Mets have constructed their roster. And some of it you alluded to the fact is a lot of guys who just can like they're kind of scrappy hitters, you know, guys that are more un- like annoying outs than guys who are scary. Uh, you know, like you put in that camp of scary, like Pete Alonso when he's dialed in Francisco Lindor when he's dialed in, but guys like Nimmo and guys like McNeil are largely like scrappy types. They put the ball in play a whole bunch. They're hard to strike out, all that stuff. But those two guys, being lined up the way they were going into that series and what the Braves had at stake was, you know, genuinely daunting. You know, did they have to sweep to have a realistic shot? I mean, the, the Mets have certain had certainly done their fair share of rolling over against inferior competition over the last month or so to actually keep the Braves in it. But it still felt very daunting to have to do it against those two guys. And, you know, again, let like that, the mistakes that Degrom made that they got he got punished for. He was still striking out guys, but again he felt very human. And same thing goes for Scherzer is that you know they, they, these weren't. It felt like this was a Braves team that was prepared. And going into the postseason, it kind of knocked off some of that kind of invincibility that those Met starters have. In that the, no team is going to be excited to see those two guys multiple times during a. During a longer series, which is what's going to end up having to happen if the Braves are going to see them again. But I don't think the Braves are going to be scared to see those guys. Uh, coming off that series as well other than the also just the how big of a swing that game on Sunday was if they lose that game then all of a sudden like the magic number is four and it's basically impossible without a lot of help from the Mets to win the division and then they get stuck in a bad part of the bra- the playoff bracket where they're having like the Padres and the Dodgers in the second round all that stuff is not what you want to have happen whereas the two seed you get the winner of the Phillies and you get the the Cardinals much different situation.
2: Yeah, we were we were talking about it in Slack on Sunday, but and even Saturday night, you know, if you if you factor in the the tiebreaker and what it meant to the division and then you factor in the new playoff format and what winning the division means for your World Series odds, you know, it's very likely that the Braves and Mets played maybe the most influential game in regular season history when it comes to World Series odds on sunday because that that's how big of a swing it was you know it, if you get a buy and obviously the braves have a buy in the first round now then it just drastically increases your odds baseball is a game of randomness and, and small samples and, and the wild card round is i mean even the division round is a small sample but the wild card round is especially a small sample and you know the best way to the best way to get past the wild card round is not have to play it and you know, the Braves not having to play that just drastically improves their World Series odds, regardless of how they play. It's just one less obstacle you have to go through and one less, you know, possible, you know, stumbling point. So it was massive. We talked about it for weeks leading up to the game, about how the Braves really need a sweep, specifically because of the tiebreaker. And, you know, they did it. They did it against the best three pitchers. And I think that, to your point, I think that it means even more going forward because, you know, the Braves and the Braves have won games against DeGrom in the past. But the Mets have never been this good and kind of DeGrom's or at least when the Braves have been good. The Mets have never been this good while the Braves have been good. So beating those three guys and and it really does set it up where if, the, if they do have to see each other again, you know, in a potential NLCS, then they might not win. But it's not going to be because they're afraid of those guys.
1: Absolutely. And it does set up some interesting stuff for these wild card rounds as well, because we saw what happened to the Dodgers against the Braves in the NLCS, for example, is that they got into kind of a, a kind of a bloodbath of a series against the Giants last year. And they had to, like, you know, throw Scherzer in relief and their pitching got all messed up. And it felt like that while for me leading up to that series, I mean, I don't think anyone realistically thought that the Braves were at least significantly better than the Dodgers. They might've thought that best. It was an even matchup, but it did feel like that the Dodgers (laughs) pitching situation was so screwed up from the previous round that it set the Braves up to be for success to kind of go into the series. And that could happen to teams like the Mets, the Padres, the Phillies, the Cardinals is that they're going to have to mean they only have a three game series to, to, to advance to the next round and they're not going to be able to run out a lot of their guys on regular rest the way they would want to going into that kind of the divisional round. So I'm very curious as to kind of how that impacts the next round, the next round of the playoffs this year, because it certainly had an impact last year, but go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was just going to say, and and the the com- compressed schedule plays a big part in that as well, because, you know, the, the wildcard round starts one day after the regular season, you know, the regular season ended today, Wednesday, the wildcard round starts on Friday, So you don't really have a lot of time to get pitchers rested, and then after the wild card round, the last day of the wild card round is Sunday. There's no breaks, and then the division, uh, the division round starts on Tuesday. So you know the schedule. That's another advantage of not having to play the wild card round is, let's say you're the Phillies and and you throw Wheeler, Nola, and, and Ranger Suarez, and you find a way to beat St. Louis in the wild card round. Well. The NLDS starts a day later and you're not going to have, you know, you're only going to get to be able to pitch those guys once and it's not going to be immediately. You're going to have to start potentially your fourth starter unless you bring somebody back early. So the schedule, the compressedness of the schedule because of the lockout and because of expanded playoffs, um, it's going to play a big role in matchups.
1: Absolutely. And while all that's happening, the Braves are able to rest all their guys. And that's not just bet resting, just like starting pitchers and lining things up. I mean, that gives a lot of these bullpen guys I mean, like A.J. Minter has made a bunch of appearances this year. And you know a lot of guys have put in a lot of innings out of the bullpen. And then you have guys like Ronald Cooney Jr. and who, you know, really could use this sort of rest when they're, you know, have a lot of stuff that's kind of like nagging and ailing them. You have guys who've played probably too much. Uh, like Dansby Swanson, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, you know they get some days off, some downtime to kind of rest, you know, be really, really fresh going into the series. You know, there's always the, you know, the the rest versus rust debate. Uh, I think that is, you never really can tell until that plays out. I don't think that this level of rest is going to be something that's going to cause real rust issues per se uh but you know one thing that's going to be particularly relevant going into the division series is whether or not Spencer Strider is going to be around but we'll kind of we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that once we get to kind of play, previewing the playoffs a bit uh but I, first I, we we need to take a look back here because the first couple of months Steven it was rough going if you were a Braves fan you know you, there were, at one point, they were 23 and 27. They were like 10 and a half games back. Even in, in August, they were still seven games back. To go from that point to get to 101 wins and still having to clinch the the division in the last series of the year blows my mind. What kind of allowed the Braves to kind of get to that point? And what was kind of like really stood out for you this season just overall?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. there's a lot of ways you can go with this answer and both positively and negatively, honestly. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that did not go well this year. And I I think I'm actually going to write something for the, for the site coming up this weekend on kind of that topic, but it's kind of mind boggling. If you actually go down the list of things that didn't actually go very well for the team this year. And and had they not won 101 games and then had they not won the division, you know, those things would have been the story, but they did win 101 games and they did win the division and so the story then turns to okay what happened to overcome all of the things that did go wrong and you know the first and the, and maybe the the principal reason that at least comes to my mind is these kids came up and impacted this team and contributed to this team at a level that honestly no one could have ever predicted or projected I mean, Michael Harris basically finished with a five-win season. And Spencer Strider, had he not gotten hurt the last two starts, would have basically finished with a five-win season as well. And I don't care what goes wrong. If you get an unexpected ten wins from two guys that you didn't even have projected to be contributors this year. I mean, people thought Strider would be a contributor, but no one had him as – you know, uh, second in the Cy Young race. And, you know, since the day he joined the rotation, he's basically been like the third or fourth best pitcher in all of baseball. I mean, that's, that's what, that's the level we're talking about. And that's how the Braves could could have so many things not go the way they hoped and still win more games than they've ever won in the Anthopolis era. I, I, it's got to be, you know, at the very top of the list. I mean, there's other things too. Dansby Swanson having a a career year, kind of being that consistent force that he hasn't been a lot of his career. Austin Riley having another breakout season, you know, that matters. Max Freed being the consistent Max Freed, the bullpen being a real strength. Those things are all reasons why this team is where they are. But I, I think first and foremost, if I was making a list and I might be making a list here pretty soon, if I was making it I have to start with Michael Harris and Spencer Strider and Vaughn Grissom and, you know, Dylan Lee and Bryce Elder. I mean, guys who just came up, none of those guys were really projected to be major contributors on this team. And at different times they all did. And, you know, Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, I mean, they've been two of the best players on the team and nobody would have thought that in April or, or March. So, the, I think the answer starts with those two. It's more complicated than just those two, but the answer starts with those two guys.
1: You and I are very much in sync on this particular answer because whenever I was kind of thinking about this uh, and I listed up, it was that the rookies were putting up big numbers. And I don't want to overlook a guy like Von Grissom who he did tail off a bit towards the end, but when they needed that guy, in it, it, it putting and put him in an impossible situation, you know, you're replacing an all-star at second base in Ozzie Albies who's out with an injury and he comes up and did what in that, that torrid stretch, he was on where he's like hitting like 400 and you know, every grand ball that he hit seemed to find holes, uh, gets a home run at Fenway in his big league debut, all those things. Like, I don't want to discount that, but I think that the, the two names that you mentioned are really, really important to kind of think about when thinking about the 2022 season. I mean, both Harris and Strider put up, five war seasons and did so in remarkable ways in their own right. You have Strider doing doing it in just 131 innings, uh, just under 132 innings, striking out 200 guys while giving up less than 100 hits, which doesn't happen. Uh, and then you have Michael Harris, who's probably going to be a gold glove finalist in addition to being just like having a 136 WRC plus is wild considering what they were able to put together.
2: Yeah. And, you know, let, let's just say, let's just say back in March, you and I are having a conversation and I say to you, the following things are going to happen. Luke Jackson is going to get hurt and miss the entire season. Tyler Matzik going to have a, a a really down year relative to last year. Will Smith's going to have a down year. Um, Ozzie Albies is going to have a down year and then he's going to get hurt for pretty much the entire season. Adam Duvall is going to have a down year and then he's going to get hurt and pretty much miss the entire season. Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Ozuna are going to have two of the worst years of their careers collectively. Charlie Morton's going to have a down year relative to his success in Atlanta. Ian Anderson's going to pitch so poorly he's going to get demoted. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is not going to look like Ronald Acuna Jr. for pretty much the whole year. Matt Olson's going to have a down year relative to expectation. Like if I just went through that list over and over and just told you all of those things, no one in the world would have projected 101 wins for the. I mean, you would be crazy. I mean, that's Nope. That's half the team that we just went through and and having, you know, relatively down years, at least as you compare it to expectations. So that's what these kids kind of came up and They, they covered that up. They covered uh, so much of that. I mean, when you, again, when you get 10 wins from unexpected place to unexpected places, it just covers up so much. It covers up so many, you know, kind of down years from other guys that you weren't expecting. And so, that's the answer. That's how they did it. They, they had incredible years from guys
1: they just weren't expecting to have incredible years. Well, and it even goes more than that because I did kind of like make a list of like the look who was missing type, you know, like where the production was and, you know, like, like Ozuna being basically a net negative and, you know, you know, no Soroka coming back at all. And a lot of the other guys that you just mentioned. But despite all that and we've already we've talked a bit about Strider and Harris for a second that we can kind of separate them back a little bit here. But despite all of that, they still – in terms of F-War, just in terms of like Fangrass War, they still had four of the top 25 position players by F-War in the National League, three of the top starters. And if you would get, if you were guessing that Kyle Wright was going to be in that conversation, that blows my mind. Five of the top 25 relievers, and that does not include Raziel Iglesias, who they got at the trade deadline and who's been probably the, best, the Braves' best reliever just in terms of production since he joined the team. Like, that's a lot of production just overall, and it kind of explains why they were so good. It's not just – like, obviously getting the the production from Strider and Harris was wild, but there's been a lot of guys who played really well that I think we don't really kind of give enough credit to.
2: Yeah, I mean, just imagine in March, I told you the Braves were going to have three of the top 25 starting pitchers in Major League Baseball, and neither one of them were Charlie Morton or Ian Anderson. Like, you would have been – Yep. Who – you'd be like okay who like who there it has to be at least one of those guys I mean that's that's how you know that's how the year went I mean just so many unexpected and the same thing with like Dylan Lee Dylan Lee does not get enough credit for basically coming in and replacing what Tyler Matzik was last year that left-handed you know elite left-handed reliever and if you don't think Dylan Lee's been elite then you're not paying attention like go look at his numbers like he's been absurdly good and you know to the point where in the next three weeks hopefully in the next three weeks at least in the next week you're gonna see Dylan Lee in some very very big spots in the in the postseason because he's earned that I mean he's been that good and he doesn't get talked about as much as the other guys but yeah they've just had and Kyle Wright's another name that we haven't talked about yet but like just another guy who just who really figured it out at the exact moment that the Braves needed William Contreras another one you know Manny Pena went down and And William Contreras stepped up and and had an unbelievable season. So that's been really, I mean, if you're looking for one overarching theme of the season, it's when other guys who you maybe were expecting more from didn't have the seasons they wanted. Other guys stepped up to a level where it basically completely covered it up. And that's why the Braves are division champs again.
1: And if we're looking for an area where things are consistent, because I don't think that amongst starters or amongst position players, we there's been a, I would say a ton of like overall consistency. You know, Dansby's had a really good year, but he, he certainly still had those times where he wasn't particularly, you know, he wasn't particularly great. Same thing goes for Austin, and that is a natural thing to have happen. You can't just be great throughout the whole time, right? Like, you know, even Harris is slumping a little bit towards the end of the season here, right? But one thing that has been a constant with this team, and you touched on it. Is that the bullpen's been really good? You know, we talked. You talked about Dylan Lee, AJ Minter, Kenley Jansen, Raziel Iglesias. The, you can just go down this bullpen group, and they've been really good. There has been one team in the league that has been more valuable in terms of at least in terms of Fangraphs WAR that has been better than the Braves this year. One, and that's the Dodgers. They've been fantastic down the stretch. They've been like that. Like we. You know, fans got really upset at Kenley for the Seattle game where you know things went awry, but it felt like that stuck out more because the Braves bullpen has just been so automatic this year, and that makes things a lot easier when you're trying to figure things out, you know, and, and to make and to make up some ground.
2: Yeah, and they had they had real
1: depth. I mean, Colin
2: McHugh is a guy we haven't even mentioned yet. Yeah, he's got like he's got like a 2.16 ERA this season. I mean, he's been unbelievable. You know, we mentioned Dylan Lee. Jesse Chavez has been. I don't need – like they're going to have to write a book or we might need a 30-for-30 on Jesse – like it doesn't make any sense. You know, they traded Sean Newcomb for Jesse Chavez. I mean think about that. Just start there. That's alone, And then Jesse Chavez has been incredible for the Braves, and then they traded him away to get Iglesias. The Angels DFA'd him because apparently Jesse can only pitch well when he's wearing a Braves uniform, and they signed him back. And he's been great since he came back, today notwithstanding. But, um, yeah, the bullpen has been – if I, you know, if the kids weren't my number one answer, then the bullpen would probably be my number two answer because they have been really consistent. even with Jansen's struggles, you know, I mean, he does at one point he was second or third in the league and blown saves, but you also have to remember that the Braves had as many, if not more save opportunities than any team in baseball. Um, so it is relative to opportunities. And and I think he still ended up with like 40 or 41 saves, for the season, and, and the save is just not a great stat, anyways, and that's one of the reasons why. But you know, other than that, just a couple of hiccups in the ninth. I mean, they've just been rocks out, and and only even more so after they added Iglesias, who might be the best reliever out of all of them, honestly. Um, so, yeah, the bullpen. I, I would put the kids one, and then I would almost certainly put the bullpen two. And, and Max Freed as well. Max needs to be up there because Max has just been a rock all year. But yeah, the bullpen for sure.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
1: Well, this is we're going to be getting to the point where we're gonna to have to be arguing with Snitker's uh, bullpen decisions in the playoffs, uh, and you know like who's starting where, where the lineups gonna be. We talked about a lot of players just now, uh, and what the, and how the Braves end up getting to this point. But the biggest thing that we need to talk about now is the playoffs are here. The Braves are gonna be the second overall seed in the National League. They have the. We've mentioned earlier in the podcast that they are going to you know they have this bye they don't have to deal with the wild card round they're not going to have to play until early next week which uh, is going to be some welcome rest for a lot of these guys that we just mentioned uh, a lot of these guys had to play a lot of games and a lot of innings to get the Braves to this point but now we're here and we know some information we don't know the we don't know what the Braves playoff roster is going to be if you're wanting to kind of get a more of a sense of what our playoff Roster projections are going to be. Um, we'll kind of do more of that on Sunday. I am going to give Steven an opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about that a little bit later on the show, in terms of like, you know, what he thinks are going to be kind of the big decisions the Braves are going to have to make. But we do know that the Braves' next opponent is either going to be the St. Louis Cardinals or the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Cardinals are at home in the wild card round as the lowest seed division winner, which is kind of a bummer for them. But if they want to, not have to play that game then they should just win more games in my opinion uh so and i don't feel particularly bad if the cardinals are ever put in a bad position because lord knows that they've had all enough you know devil magic that has gone in their favor that you know every once in a while they might need to get a little bit unlucky uh in terms of that uh i will say that neither one of these teams on paper is super scary to me uh they're very good they are good teams and like this isn't like you know getting matched up with like the Marlins in the playoffs or something like super fluky, like happened in 2020. There are, they are good teams, but they're not super scary on paper to me. So I wanted to kind of get you you a chance to talk a little bit about where you think that series is going to go, what your preferences are, why. So like overall kind of like going into this national league division series for this first round for the Braves, kind of where your thoughts going in.
2: Yeah, I, this is probably a controversial opinion. There's going to be a lot of people that disagree with this, but I don't think it's a slam dunk that St. Louis is a better team than Philadelphia. I know the record. I know what the records are. Obviously, St. Louis has had a better year than Philadelphia. But you know, if if Philadelphia got to play in the NL Central all year, um, I don't know that Philadelphia wouldn't have a better record than if St. Louis had to play in the NL East. And especially right now, because the Phillies are healthy. I mean, the Phillies, they got Zach Wheeler back. They got Aaron Nola. I mean, if you're talking about a short playoff series of who you're going to pick, it's tough not to pick the team that, that has Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, and Ranger Suarez, who's been really good. I don't know if people realize how good Ranger Suarez has been this year, but he's been really, really good. And, you know, with the Cardinals – their starting pitching is just, it leaves so much to be desired. They have a really good bullpen, but I do worry about their starters. And on top of that, Paul Goldschmidt has really gone into the tank in September. And obviously he could break out any time, but, you know, kind of the opposite. Kyle Schwarber has just turned into, you know, Aaron Judge gets all the all the hype because of obviously he's got 62 homers. But Schwarber's got like 47 46 47 homers something like I mean it's something absurd and obviously they have Bryce Harper and they have JT Real Muto. and you know they've got some really really good bullpen pieces that people really don't know but I mean they got they got guys that throw 102 coming out of that bullpen so you know I if it was up if if I got my choice I would much rather play the Cardinals than play the Phillies just because I mean that just the Zach Wheeler Aaron, Aaron Nola factor alone talk about a short playoff series those guys can shut down a lineup as fast as anybody and you know between Schwarber and Harper and Real Muto they get some real pop too so I would you know devil magic aside of course I know people are terrified of St. Louis because of the history and what happened in 2019 and all that but just talent for talent I don't know that St. Louis is actually better than
1: Philadelphia at this point and I'll take St. Louis quite honestly. I was actually surprised that you said that, but I'm actually I'm actually with you on this. Now, before we kind of get into that, I do want to say I did reach out to Chris uh, while he's on the mend to kind of see what his answer was going to be here, so he's kind of on record. And he said he would prefer the Phillies, but he would he, he doesn't would necessarily be upset for the Braves to get the chance to you know give one to the Cardinals to, to kind of pay them back for you know some some of the nonsense that's happened in the past, but. I think that the, the the starting pitching point that you made is is a really important one because not only has Razor Suarez has been good this year, he's been really good lately. And you have that guy combined with again one of the like one of the top Cy Young candidates in the league in Aaron Nola, plus Zach Wheeler, who has shown the ability to like again just completely shut out off shut down offenses, get big strikeout totals, and you know that's going to be useful against a lot of these guys who are going to be trying to do big damage, you know. Coming out of coming coming against the the Cardinals, who are I would say that that offense is top heavy and vulnerable in that regard because they have two legitimate MVP candidates in that lineup in Nolan Arenado and and Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt may have fallen off a little bit, but those are two guys that can really hurt you. After that, you get like the production from like Tommy Edman, who's like more like kind of gives you defensive value and then necessarily going to be particularly scary. And all of these hitters, again, the top two guys, I wouldn't say they're super flawed hitters per se, but the rest of this lineup does not scare you at all. Combine that with, I mean, you're going against the, the ghost of Adam Wainwright, who's, you know, again, turned by the clock a little bit, but, you know, he's not a guy who is unbelievably scary beyond his kind of his pedigree is what he's been in the past. Again, not a team that just you know you know Miles Mikolas has been good, uh, Jose Quintana's kind of come back as well. So I'm just not I'm kind of with you in the sense that you know I don't think this Phillies team is particularly again they they have their own issues in terms of lineup depth, uh, you know their their bullpen can be a bit suspect at times as well. So I'm not saying that like this is like kind of like a, a kind of an inverted sort of like you know the, the Phillies are a much better team, but. The Phillies are familiar with the Braves, uh, and you know there's only so many times you can go against a team, and you don't want to necessarily, you know, like go against uh, have a lineup go against a lot of your pitchers a whole bunch because they're kind of used to their stuff. I don't think the Cardinals are a particularly good team. The Braves would be obviously have home field advantage, which would certainly help the cause. And I think that I think I'm with you that especially coming out of a wild card series, I think I'd prefer the Cardinals. Uh, I don't I I don't know. If, I mean, it's 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 relatively close. I'm not super scared of either of these teams, but they're you know the Cardinals are are a pretty weak deficient champ to have to deal with
2: yeah and i i do want to give saint i mean st louis has an absurd absurdly good bullpen like that's the strength of their team i don't know if braves fans remember when they played st louis i think it i think it was in august it wasn't that long ago but you know they have like five or six guys that of a bullpen that all throw like 100 101 miles an hour um they've got a really nasty bullpen and listen if you know if you got a bunch of close games and that could be the difference right St. Louis could beat you just because of that but yeah and and they have Albert Pujols who apparently found the fountain of youth and it is now
1: yeah there is that
2: Albert Pujols has got like a 900 OPS this year at like age 97 I don't know I don't know how old he is but he is he's found his swing again so there's always that but just talent for talent again I don't the playoffs are so much about starting pitching and i I think i think philadelphia's just got an edge there and i i'm not terribly scared to see either one but if i if you just gave me the choice that steven you get to pick it however it goes i would want this i would want their wild card series to go three games and then face the the cardinals now i will say this and this is an important point if you did want to make a case for why it's better to play the phillies you know if the Phillies have to throw Wheeler, Nola, Suarez in the wild card round, then Game One of the NLDS they wouldn't have any of those guys available. So you could kind of get a free, almost a free win just right off the bat, and that might alone be enough to, you know, to sway your decision. Because you, if that's the main reason why you don't want to face those guys, then the fact that none of them would be able to pitch Game One, you know, that matters. So that would, that would that should be factored in, but
1: yeah, just talent for talent. Honestly, I would rather play St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I don't want to, and I don't think Stephen feels this way either. I don't think that, like both these teams are capable of being the Braves in a series. I like that. I, I don't think that again, this is a situation where they're like completely outclassed because there's certainly ways for like both of these teams to win, but overall yeah. St.
2: Louis, I, I, St. Louis took a series against the Braves three weeks ago, four weeks ago. So yeah, any of these teams can beat the Braves, but you know, it's it's you still got to look at it talent for talent.
1: Absolutely, especially when we're kind of we there's a lot of information we don't know yet. Uh, a bit and a big factor too to kind of think about in terms of like the Braves' chances against any team is that I do think it's important that we figure out what's going on with Spencer Strider. Um, and not having one of your top pitchers going into the playoff play would be, you know, certainly. A blow, uh, especially considering the way that Charlie Morton's pitched down the stretch. He's certainly shown his age a little bit. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to see Jake Odorizzi make a, a, a playoff start. Uh, I don't think that'd be good for anyone's blood pressure. Despite the fact that Odorizzi uh, got the job done to help clinch the division, uh, the, the rest of the body of work has been a little bit suspect. So I, I will say that it's been the, this is the the one wild card game that this kind of determined why it felt so important to be on this side of the bracket because the other wild card matchup where you have like the Padres and the Mets that's a much just on paper and I think just in terms of objectively that is an opponent that you're much less interested in trying to have to go against than either of these two teams Uh, so again I think the Braves are in a good spot they position themselves well I tend to agree with Steven here I think that it's going to be I think the Cardinals is the one you'd want but neither of these teams are like super scary like what are you going to do to me
2: yeah and one thing I think Major League Baseball needs to look at is potentially reseeding teams after the wild card round because, you know, the way it's currently set up, the Dodgers have a much tougher path than the Braves do currently. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers have to play the winner. I mean, if the Dodgers get the Mets and the NLDS and the Braves get the Phillies, I mean, that's that's advantage Braves, obviously. So. I, I, I do wonder if MLB will look at potentially after the wild card round is over reseeding the teams so that, you know, it's just a hypothetical scenario. Say the, you know, the Cardinals won uh, their series and the Mets won their series. And it was the last four teams were the, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Mets and the Cardinals. Well, by record, you know, the Dodgers would be one and the Cardinals would be four. And so that would be the matchup. So. You know, I, I do wonder if it's not better to reseed these teams after the round, but you know, as it currently stands, the Braves definitely got the good side of the draw. You know, the other side is just brutal. And so, you know, you, you, you don't complain about it. You take it, but you still got to win the games.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a weird fluke this year just to have like a division race where two teams win a hundred games <laughs> and, and one of those teams has to play in the wild card round. Uh, it certainly probably feels bad for the Mets. I've, I do wonder if we're kind of also even heading towards just like divisions in general, not mattering uh, or even kind of going away altogether, because, again, it does feel a little bit weird. Uh, You know, baseball is kind of unique in kind of its division structure. So maybe that they want to kind of keep that uniqueness. But at the same time, it does feel a little bit weird, a little bit bad that, you know, a. One of the top three records in the league is having to play in the wild card round, and, you know, it's going to result in some weirdness with brackets and stuff like that. But there's only so much you can do about that, and, you know, some some seasons this would look per- – like the, the, these brackets would look the part. They would look perfect for what they're trying to accomplish, but this year it does definitely – I do agree. It does seem to look a little weird. Uh, before we let everyone go, we're going to do a little bit of a mailbag. Uh, where we, we, uh, Stephen put the call out earlier today for some questions from you guys, and we got a lot of good ones. Uh, I will say that we're not going to do too much of a dive into the playoff roster stuff. I am going to give kind of Stephen a a chance at the end here to talk about his thoughts about like what the big decisions are on the playoff roster. But first we have a question and it's this, if Spencer Strider is available for the NLDS, do the Braves slot him into the rotation or do they lower his workload on him by sending him to the bullpen? Obviously he's more valuable as a starter. Uh, I know what my answer is fairly clear, but I, I just wanted to give you a chance to answer it.
2: Um, I don't, I don't see a scenario where they would put him in the bullpen. If he, I mean, he's the second best starting pitcher on the team. So if he's a, if he's healthy to pitch, then he's going to start. I don't, I don't, you know, if he can't, if he can't start, then he's probably just not going to be on the team because. You're not just going to all of a sudden reintroduce him to the back end of the bullpen when when guys have already kind of got established roles. That doesn't really make sense to me. So I, I don't see a scenario where he would be in the bullpen. Either he's going to start or he's not going to be on the team. So that's I, – I think it's – I could be wrong, I guess, but I, I think that's pretty clear cut.
1: Yeah, I think that the issue here isn't that Strider is like fatigued. And they're trying to manage his innings. The issue is that he has a very specific injury with his oblique. And the the problem with the kind of the thinking here is that if you're having an issue, particularly with your oblique with your oblique, it's not throwing five or six innings isn't the problem. It's it hurts and you can really just do damage, especially the way that Strider throws and kind of how you know kind of how kind of violent of a pitcher he is in a lot of ways. He I think Steven's right. It's that, that there's, if he's not good enough to start, he's probably just not going to be on in for that series period. Um, so if he's available, I fully expect him to be a starter. Now, like how many, how long he goes, a lot of that just depends on, you know, like how each individual inning goes and all the other stuff. But you know, like you don't want him having multiple, making multiple bullpen appearances in a playoff series versus starting when his oblique's bothering him. Cause it's just a so big of a chance for him hurting himself. Then if he's starting.
2: Yeah. And if you think about the number of times bullpen pieces have to get up and, you know, warm up and, you know, it's a lot less controllable in terms of the workload. You know, as a starter, you can control it. You know exactly when you're going to get warmed up. You know exactly, you know, when you're going to pitch. Relievers have to be a lot more uh, flexible in that in those roles. And so I I think that would be worse for him is if he, you know, unexpectedly had to get up and, and get warm in the next 20 minutes, you know, so I don't. I don't see a scenario where they would do that, and he has a pitch in the bullpen in four months, so I don't I just I don't see a scenario where they would try that at this point.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels like one of the things that would be like almost too cute to be an option if that makes any sense. Uh, the next question uh, is one we get this every September in various forms, and that is who is the emergency catcher for the Braves? Uh, there is some ambiguity here. Steven, the la- I, did, I did a little bit of research on this one. The last word that mentions emergency catcher with the Braves is that Brian Sticker said, and I quote that he thinks that Austin Riley would look good and look the part with catcher's gear on. So that would probably be the guy, but it doesn't sound like the Braves have like a set plan for that. And I honestly don't think it's going to matter.
2: Yeah, I have, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea who the, I, I imagine they've probably like, I don't know. They've probably fitted Adrianza for some gear just in case, or, you know, I don't know if they've ever had him, sit back there for a bullpen or something just in case but it doesn't this does not have I mean the way people talk about emergency catchers you would think this is like some epidemic in baseball where like catchers are just constantly getting hurt in the playoffs and you know and not only are the catcher but the backup catcher also gets hurt and, and now you have the third catcher who has to I I've never seen it one time happen in my life where both catchers on a team got hurt in the same game and an emergency catcher I mean I'm sure it's happened but the way people talk about it, like it happens all the time. I just, yeah, I, I have no idea who the Braves merge. I'm sure they have a plan for it. I I would not spend a lot of time worrying about it, I guess, would be my answer.
1: Absolutely. And I think that part of the issue is that, you know, you expect to see some lineups that have both Travis Darno and William Contreras in it, uh, which is why people think about it, I guess, if it makes any sense. But at the end of the day, what matters, I think, the most is that, you know, in in a game, like, let's say, like, both catchers somehow got hurt in the sixth inning or something like that. uh, You know, if, if that happens, you've already got a lot of other problems beyond who the guy is, because whoever that emergency catcher is going to be is going to have basically no experience. But most importantly, it is assured, especially with Brian Sticker, part of this organization, that they are going to have one, if not two, catchers on that taxi squad to where it would only really matter for maybe those first few innings uh, those few innings that would where it would matter. And this is just not something that comes up all that often. Uh, It's weird that we get asked this constantly. Yeah. I don't, I, people are obsessed with like
2: emergency. Like I get it. Like it's a, it's technically a feasible scenario where you lose both catchers in a game. But like, think of all the baseball you've ever watched. How, how many times have you seen that relative to how many games have you watched? Like, it's like in the bottom one percent not even one percent it's like zero 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 point one percent of the time it happens and so and remember like even if even if both catchers are in the lineup let's say Darno is catching and, and Contreras is DHing like even if Darno gets hurt you can just move Contreras to catcher and yeah you lose the DH for the rest of the game but anytime the pitcher spots comes up you can just pinch hit I mean you got plenty of position players so it doesn't unless both guys gets hurt get get hurt in the same game which the odds of that are just so astronomical then it really it's kind of a non issue
1: absolutely especially like in ter- uh, like especially in terms of like you know like what would happen for the rest of the series type stuff because they'll have a guy that can catch uh, that's going to be hanging around that they can add as an injury replacement to a playoff roster uh the next question we got is uh, i know Snip would never change his lineup drastically at this point in the season but what do you think of acuña and harris batting 1 2 in the lineup i feel like those two would put quite a dynamic be quite dynamic batting at the top for Dansby, Riley, and Olsen to drive in. What are your thoughts on the lineup there, Stephen?
2: Yeah, this is interesting. Chris and I have talked about this a couple times, about lineup construction. and You know, one thing to remember with Michael specifically is that he has struggled against lefties this year, and so a lot of it would depend on who's starting. But if you got a right-hander starting, then yeah, I could see a scenario where I don't know if Snit would do it. I doubt he would. But, you know, we saw him be pretty aggressive with Michael Harris, you know, in the Mets series, even the series before that, I think, where he was batting third and fourth. And I think some of that was trying to get Austin Riley and Matt Olson going. But, I mean, we've seen him be aggressive. I don't I don't like it if there's a lefty on the mound. I, I think Michael is so young and, and kind of struggles with lefties early in his career. I, I don't like putting him and Olson that close to each other. When there's a lefty on the mound, it also allows later in the game where you know you can potentially bring in a left-handed reliever and face both of those guys in a three-batter span potentially. So I would be careful with that. But if there's a righty on the mound, I could see it. I mean, Michael crushes right-handed pitching. Obviously, Acuna's going to bat one. We know that. Um, I don't. I don't know if I would put Dansby three. That I I, I would much rather. If you're going to put Michael, too, I would rather I'd rather go Acuna, Harris, Riley, Olsen, and then put Swanson behind Olson, Um just so you go re- light, uh, right, left, right, left. But, yeah, I, I don't and I don't expect like I, when the playoffs start, I expect it to be Acuna, Swanson, Riley, Olsen, um, like it has been for most of the season. But we'll see. They were de- it definitely perked my attention when they moved Harris aggressively in the Met series. Uh, but they were also facing all right handed pitching. So and that's not going to be the case in the playoffs or depending on who they face, I guess. But it, it, it is an interesting concept. I would just be careful with Michael's uh, left handed splits,
1: especially in the case with Harris, too, that, you know, he's obviously been really good. but He's also not like an on base machine, you know, like he's kind of like the one flaw in his game uh, beyond his splits against lefties is that you know he's not a guy that draws a ton of walks. Uh, it hasn't really mattered this year just because of the he has been hitting, but at the same time, like it's something to kind of think about when you think about li- lineup construction and, you know, do you really want that versus, you know, being able to like lengthen your lineup further down and have kind of a guy like Harris who can deal damage a little further down and also break up the righties. Just so that way it's a lot, it's a lot harder to kind of bullpen your way through the Braves lineup. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to something like this. I, I don't think there's any world where they're going to take Ronnie out of the top of the lineup. There are, which is to put it this way, when Ronnie was really struggling and he was really just dinged up and hurt, he was he, he was going to stay at the top of the lineup. So I don't think that's going to change. And more importantly, you know, I do think that Snit is kind of set in his ways in that regard. He, someone something would have to happen pretty significantly for him to alter his usual lineups. Um, I could see some different things happening right, righties versus lefties in terms of moving Harris up a bit. Uh, you know, again to kind of break things up in 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 novel ways. But against lefties, I, I I'm with you. I don't think that batting Harris second is is the the best idea. Period. Um, you know until he can kind of demonstrate that he can hit against lefties a little better.
2: Yeah, and I I actually I actually quite like the the um the construction where Harris batted ninth for a little bit, and that way you got Harris Acuña Swanson all kind of in a row. And obviously it stinks the first time through the order because he doesn't bat till later. But after the first time through the order, it's I mean, it's basically like having a, a, a just a second leadoff guy, and so I, I do I do like him ninth, but my guess is, and this is a complete guess, I have no idea, but my guess is you're gonna have some something that looks like Acuna, Swanson, Riley, Olson, then Darno, Contreras potentially the next, and then probably Harris right around that. Range probably six or seven, so I have no idea what they'll end up doing, but that's my guess.
1: We already answered kind of the next lineup question we got, which is you know, but batting Dans being the three holds. Stephen kind of ran down the reasons why he kind of likes the other, you know, the, the configuration. We've kind of spent enough time, I think, on the lineup. But the next question we got is actually kind of a a uh, a battery power specific sort of question. And what is when do, are we going to get a new end of season top prospect article in the works? Uh, I will say this. This year's been particularly weird on the minor league side for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we had two writers, uh, Vidak and Wayne Cavati. They just have real life jobs that became more demanding than than allowed for them to continue to do work do work for us. Uh, they're still we I still love them dearly. We are constantly chatting. We're in the same you know group chat talking about prospects all the time. But you know being able to do recaps and being real dialed in for those two just didn't work out. You combine that with the draft being the draft date being in the middle of July at the All-Star break and also how the trade deadline positioned immediately after that made doing a mid-season prospect list for us really problematic in terms of do we include the draftees and uh, if we don't then you know what what's the point of kind of doing a mid-season list and that that was a problem you know combined with just not having a ton of manpower having to cover the draft being just completely wiped out from that and then having to go into the trade deadline the next week after after that, the longer you wait, the less it makes sense, and the, the Braves were just promoting guys. you know. We So we ended up not doing a midseason list, and I'm sorry about that because I enjoy kind of shepherding that project each and every year, you know, giving updates to everybody as to kind of what's going on in the minor league system. And we're going to bring back a midseason prospect list. We're going to have to figure out the format. I'm hopeful that they change the date of the draft back a bit. It sounds like that there's, some, there's certainly a lot of people who wish that they would turn. If not go all the way back to June, but at least move it back some because there's also some kind of residual impacts this has on NCAA. For example, there's a lot of teams that don't know how many guys they're going to have under scholarship because they don't know how many of their guys are going to get drafted. And what ends up happening in a lot of cases is that guys go undrafted and they go back to school. And then there's guys who were coming in as freshmen who thought they had 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 scholarships. But the team has to go back to them and say, sorry, we don't have as many scholarships as we thought we had. So you don't have a scholarship to school anymore, which is really feels bad when you're about two weeks from starting school. So there's a lot of other things that kind of go into it It impacts the Cape Cod League scouting, a lot of other things. So I I am quietly hopeful that they move the draft back a bit. But assuming that they don't do that, we're going to be doing some sort of midseason prospect list next year, the timing of which and how we do it remains to be seen it might be a smaller project so that way we can crank it out a little bit it, it, again doing that pr- the way we do it is with like a six article series and every one of those articles is like two three thousand words uh it's really hard to kind of fit into that window that we have at the moment uh, but i will say this about end of season stuff there will be a kind of pre-season list again we are going to be doing that around the turn of the you know a turn of the year late december early january in that realm in the meantime once we kind to get through this play- this playoff binge that we're going to be in. Uh, no one's going to be particularly interested in talking about prospects right now. We're going to be doing updates on on Arizona fall league and all that stuff and still doing the road to Atlanta intermittently. That's going to still be happening. But after all the playoff stuff happens, we are going to be doing minor league player reviews where we're going to be talking about individual players. I think we have a list around 40, 42 players that we're going to be talking about individually, small articles on all those guys, where we think there are, just generally speaking in their development, how much we like them and how much, or how much we don't like them, and for whatever reason. So you'll have your minor league content. It won't be in that list con that list sort of construct that a lot of people like to see uh, in terms of rankings. Cause it's just, it, again, it's kind of a weird situation in terms of like ranking guys now and not having midseason rankings to, to base that off of and all that stuff. Uh, and if we do rankings now, then what do we do on a preseason list? It's basically the same list. So the goal is to kind of get some content out there for you guys, some just information about the prospects that are in the system. And then that'll lead us into that prospect list. That's going to happen around, you know, again, late December, early January. Um, so that was one that's an easy one for me to answer. Go ahead, Stephen.
2: No, I was just gonna say I think
1: I think Brad I think Brad told me
2: that he would he would gladly write up the entire minor league system if you if you needed big him. News. To, uh, big, yeah, it, big news. Yeah, big news. he, he uh, you know it was over it was over uh, DM. Nobody else nobody else saw it. It was just me that saw it. But I'm pretty sure he said that. So I would definitely look into that.
1: We'll get to the bottom of this right now, Stephen. If you would all please type. At BT Roland on the Twitter machine, if you would please ask him uh, why he so graciously volunteered to rank the entire Braves minor league system, I would greatly appreciate it. Feel free to tag Stephen and myself in these tweets as well. Uh, we would like to know how these conversations go because I think this would be this is important information for the people. Stephen,
2: the funny thing is, if you asked like if you ask me and Brad to start like just naming prospects. Like and see who can name the most. Like I can name like three pros. I can probably name four prospects right now. And I don't know. if I, I think that might win. Quite honestly, I don't know if Brad can name more. Than that. <laughs>
1: over, over Brad. Um. Well, now that Tookie's out of the system, that definitely hurts the cause. Is the is the <laughs> is the Michigan outfielder still in the system? Uh, he is. He had Tommy John surgery, but he's still around. What's his name? Um, Jesse Franklin. That's right. That's Jesse right. Franklin. Jesse Franklin. So you don't get credit for that one, but yeah. uh, and you know and, and Brad would certainly remember that one, although he might not be sure if he's still playing or not. I <laughs> had no <laughs> idea if he was still in the system, to be honest. so yep, he can hit the ball far. I'm not sure if he can do much else, but we'll get to the but, uh, we'll get to the final question here before we kind of get your final thoughts on what the big uh, decisions are for the playoff roster are for the Braves going into this NLDS. Uh, it's a simple one. Who do you think the better player is the better player is in five years? Spencer Strider or Michael Harris? Tough one.
2: Yeah, that is a tough one. So, and Chris and I talked about this as well. We we actually talked about the Rookie of the Year voting quite a bit before Strider got hurt, and I said that I would vote for Strider right now. And the reason is, I think Strider as is is a dominant starting pitcher in baseball. Like right now, he can get better. You know, he can improve his changeup. He can develop you know, a little bit better command. He loses command at time. But right now, he can be an elite starting pitcher in baseball. And I think Michael has got some things that he's going to have to figure out a little bit more than Strider. You know, if you look at Michael's profile, it's a lot of ground balls. He a ton of ground balls. He does struggle with lefties. Um, he doesn't walk a ton. Like, those are – Those are things that haven't mattered this year because his power and his defense have just been so good that, you know, it it hasn't mattered, but I could definitely see scenarios where they, where you get to seasons where it does matter. And, you know, I think, I think Michael has further to go to reach his peak than Strider has to go to reach his peak. Now that doesn't answer the question that you technically asked. So, what I'll say is if I had to choose right now, I would choose Strider because of that. But they both can be five-win players as is. I just think Strider, if you gave him a full season as a starter, could more easily put up like that seven- or eight-win MVP season. Whereas I think Harris is going to have to make some some more adjustments to get to that point. If that makes sense. I you know, when you're a hitter and you're not a great on base guy, that's tough. Like you're you're fighting an uphill battle just from the jump because, you know, in, in terms of just one number, the importance of one number on base percentage is probably the most important single number in, in offensive baseball. And so when you're not a huge OBP guy right off the jump, that you're you're kind of playing at a disadvantage, at least offensively. And then you add in the struggles with left handers and the ground balls. You know, I could see Michael I could see him having to work harder to reach his peak than Strider. Um, But, you know, pitchers are are way more volatile. And, you know, in five years, it would not surprise me at all to see Michael in MVP conversations and Strider, you know, either at the same level or even a little bit worse. You know, the pitchers don't they just don't go over the same aging curve as, as hitters do. So that's a good question. But if I had to pick today, I would pick Strider.
1: So, your re- response at the end there is why I would say that it's Harris over Strider, but with a few caveats first. First, I love both of these guys. I don't want to, like when we have these kind of forced choices. Sometimes like, wow, can't believe you hate the other guy, right? Uh, I I like both of these guys. You're right. At, you know the issues with lefties. The not complete inability to draw walks but he's certainly not like a big you know he's not going to be like a 12 percent walk rate guy um and the issues with just too many ground balls but the quality of the contact is good he hits the ball the other way which is again is going is really helps him out in a lot of situations and i think that skill lends itself to adjustments particularly against lefties and making adjustments to how pitchers are pitching against him. Just that ability to kind of hit the ball to all fields instead of being a pull happy guy, that kind of that allows you to be victimized in different ways. Um, And also his defensive value can cover up some of deficiencies. If he doesn't get to his peak, because his peak isn't like an all-star MVP candidate guy. I think that we both agree on that. The same way that Strider's peak is like Cy Young winner uh and you know like perennially in that conversation but the issue is is that the profile for guys who throw as hard as Strider over a long a longer period of time with a lot of miles on their arm is much more volatile and scary it would not shock me i'm not predicting this but i think it's more likely that ha- that Harris continues to be a very good everyday guy than Strider continuing to be this like frontline pitcher ace. And I think it's, there's a real chance that either he gets hurt and is never the same guy again, or there's something happens. He ends up being relegated to a bullpen role. There's a lot more variance in outcomes with Strider, despite what we've seen. And again, I love both of these guys. It's very, very close. And I wouldn't be shocked if both of them are very good. And if they're both very, very good in five years, that is very good news for the Braves, and they picked two very talented guys to add to this add to this roster in the ways that they did in this draft in these drafts. But for me, I would guess that Harrison five years is better, but only because of that volatility with pitchers, particularly ones that throw as hard as he does.
2: Yeah, and not only throw as hard as he does, but at his size, right? I mean, he's not he's not six four. He doesn't really have the frame to support that kind of velocity over and over and over again now you know every you know guys break the mold all the time there's outliers but yeah the history is not on Strider's side and you know obviously the team the team has told you what they think because they locked up michael harris immediately and gave him pretty big money and obviously they haven't done that with strider and almost all of that is just because of what we said pitcher volatility i mean Max Freed hasn't been locked up either and that there's a reason for that the teams don't lock up pitchers at the level that they lock up position players because pitchers just kind of show up and are bad randomly I mean it makes no sense but Julio Tehran was a great pitcher and then he wasn't and like sometimes it's just that quick and it, it, there's really no explaining it and, and pitchers get hurt and a lot of times their first few years are their best years and It's really tough to predict. So, yeah, if you go when the, if you just say, I I always go with the position player over the pitcher, then I'm not going to argue. It's, it's perfectly fine logic. Um, But I do think Michael has got a little bit, with Spencer, it's about staying healthy. With Michael, I think there's real obstacles that he's going to have to make adjustments to to reach that peak. And he can do it. I mean, he's a great kid. He's a great, he's a hard worker. He's already done it this year. He's every time he has a little slump, he seems like he immediately bounces back. But I think with him, there's more justice to be made. Whereas with Strider, it's a lot about just staying healthy, which is very difficult to do when you're his size and throw as hard as he does.
1: Yeah. And you won't get argument from me either way, like, because you're absolutely right on these things. There's a chance that Michael Harris goes out there next year. And is decidedly ordinary at the plate. That could that that absolutely could happen, and it happens a lot with young hitters too. So this is like again, the, it's it's not like that there's no risk with Harris, right? Just for me, the risk with pitchers is a little bit more. But like there's a lot. of The, the, the points you made are really like they're just true. So uh, really fascinating, story question, something that I'm I'm certain that Braves fans are going to be monitoring very closely in the coming years. But it's going to be pretty relevant. Uh, so before we let everyone go, Stephen, I want to give you a chance just to kind of and again, I'm going to be kind of sharing my thoughts later on in the week, once we kind of do the show on Sunday with, uh, I assume it's going to be Brad Scott and I, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but tell me a little bit about kind of what you think are the big keys for the Braves playoff roster and what the, the, the decisions that you see going forward.
2: Yeah. I mean, they don't have a ton, honestly, a, a lot of it's going to come down to Strider if he's healthy, if he is healthy, then, you know, it, it gets pretty easy. I do think there's a conversation to be had about Marcelo Zuna. Um, you know, Mark Bowman of MLB.com I think today put out his first projection, and Ozuna wasn't on the his projected playoff roster. And and obviously, Ozuna went out and and homered and had a couple of doubles today. So I'm sure Snit will notice that. And I do think Ozuna's going to be on the roster just because you have to have 13 position players and it's actually not that easy to have 13 position players, especially with the DH. And uh, I think Ozuna is going to make it just by default, but yeah. You know what they do with Heredia, you know, Rosario Grossman, do all of those guys make it, does Adrianza make it, you know, as a utility guy, um, kind of that, those last few bench spots, how the Braves utilize the DH is going to be, interesting if they just go with both catchers the whole time which is what i think they should do but you know do they use ozuna do they use rosario that'll be interesting and then the bullpen is always kind of the big question who gets who gets the spots does elder get a spot after the way he pitched Does odor get a spot just for being a veteran and, and being in the playoffs before with houston um or maybe not with Houston, but he's been in the playoffs before, I think. So he, and he's a veteran, and, and managers just love veteran pitchers this time of year. So the bullpen is definitely interesting. Um, do they carry all the guys they have now? Do they carry, you know, Jackson Stevens, you know, guys that are kind of been lower leverage guys? Um, so that, you know, just the normal stuff. There's nothing crazy for the Braves this year. They don't have, I mean, a lot of it's just, is, is Spitzer Strider healthy? That's really kind of the biggest question that comes down. And um, I don't think Ozzy Ozzy's not going to be ready for the NLDS. So that's not really a consideration. It'll be, it'll be Arcia and Grissom on the roster, but um, yeah, just is Strider healthy. And then a couple of, you know, bench spots and a couple of bullpen spots, really kind of all that I can really think of, unless I'm missing something drastic, I can't think of a big question they have to answer. It's really just going to kind of come down to preference.
1: Well, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for my takes on the playoff roster. And frankly, I'm going to need more time to think about it. And I've been this is my third podcast in four days. And frankly, you know, at the breakneck pace I've been on, I haven't had a lot of time to really kind of consider all the options here. So if you want to make sure you hear my takes on the playoff roster and you want to make sure you don't miss any of our playoff coverage, we will be recapping all of the playoff games on this very feed. All you have to do is subscribe to the Battery Power podcast feed on whatever your preferred podcast platform and you'll be not only get this show, uh, which is normally hosted by our fearless leader, Chris Willis, as well as Stephen here. Uh, you get the Road to Atlanta, which is our minor league show hosted by yours truly, as well as Garrett Spain. You get the Daily Hammer, which is hosted by the great Sean Coleman, who has been doing doing hard work all year long, basically doing our da- our daily update during the week. You know, finding out what happened in last night's game. Quick recap show. And then our flagship to- show hosted by the aforementioned Brad Roland, who, again, he really, really wants you to be voting for him to be able to put together a minor league uh, minor league prospect rankings. You can follow him on, uh, over on Twitter at BT Roland. He is the host of our flagship show. I am uh, every other week the co-host with him uh, along with rotating with Scott Coleman. We occasionally are going to be rotating other folks in as well, especially on um, podcast coverage for the playoffs. So make sure you keep an eye out for all the, that podcast content that's going to be coming on this very feed. But fortunately, this will be – I. Don't think you'll be hearing my voice on this particular podcast, the podcast to be named later, too much. Uh, I'm certainly happy to help in, you know, hop in whenever I am needed. But if you're needing a break from my voice and after this week, you may very well get need it. Uh, that, it should be back to normal with Chris and Steven uh, down the line. But until next time, the Braves are the NL East champs, and this is going to be a fun one.